may also turn to God's word for our scripture reading today for the message, which is from Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Decided to take a little break from Mark for one week, Gospel of Mark, focusing on uh, children, but that'll be hopefully next week. But today, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, to read in Punjabi. Okay, our reading, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And our focus is um, really that one line from verse 18, but in light of 18 to 23. So Paul, Paul's prayer, it's a prayer for the believers. And basically it's a prayer that they may see what we don't see with the physical eye, but they may see the realities by faith. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And here's our focus. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. We could say the eyes of faith being opened. That you may, three things, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. 
says that differently in Punjabi, I'm sure, but the eyes of your faith, seeing more than what you see around you, seeing the greater, seeing the glory of Christ. I, I depart from Mark, one of the reasons is that you just see so much fear and panic gripping our society. It's a strange thing. People are being driven to fear and panic by things that it's outside of their control. You think of the coronavirus. Just is spreading globally. There's no doubt about it. It's a, but the panic, the fear, it's affecting the economy. It's driving down stock markets. People are canceling large or even smaller gatherings. Right? People are going to Costco and they're stockpiling all kinds of items. People are wearing masks. See that in the streets, in the stores. Masks. I've seen someone with a towel around his face. What's going on? Why the fear? Why the panic? Who's in control? Is it not the Lord? Is it not He who sends? Is it not He who directs? And He does so in His way, in His time. You know, we as a Western, we as a Western society, we feel so immune. We feel so secure against many dangers. And now suddenly the Lord sends a force, but a tiny microscopic one against which there is no defense. But you know what? The world lives as having no hope. Without Christ, there is no hope. And that explains why there's this, the driven by fear and panic. May it not be with us. May it not be with God's people. May we not be driven by fear and panic. Precautions, yes. But fear and panic, no. No, not at all. As believers' comfort, no doubt, we, as, as God's people, no doubt, we have God's word. His word is truth. He gives us his promises and he wants us to know the comfort that we have in Christ Jesus. Think of those words of Isaiah 26.3 where where Isaiah says to the Lord, Lord, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know, the life of faith, a life of faith in Christ is full of hope. It looks beyond it looks beyond the, beyond the little bug. It looks beyond and sees the glory of Christ's inheritance and looks at his power at work in us. And that's what we see in Ephesians 1, 15-23. Look at verse 18 again. Very special phrase. Paul is praying for the believers. No doubt, in the midst of many circumstances that were not pleasant also in Ephesus, and he prays that their eyes of understanding may be enlightened. In other words, Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may see. What's he saying? He's not talking about seeing with physical eyes. What you see with physical eyes is what the world sees, and that's what's driving them to panic. But he 
talks about seeing with the eyes of your heart. Seeing with the eyes of faith. The eye of the natural man is blind. Corinthians tell us that, tells us that. Blinded by sin. The natural man can't know the truth. He doesn't see the truth. Because he doesn't know Christ. We need the Bible. We need the Holy Spirit to bring us to Christ so that we may see the fullness that we have in Him. We look beyond the bug. We look to Christ, who is in control of all things. So the Holy Spirit illumines the hearts and minds of believers. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And he prays for that, that we may see more and more. That you may know and grasp and see more and more those things. What things? Three things. First of all, the hope of his calling. We say that in 18b. That you may see the hope of his calling. Second, the riches of his inheritance. And the surpassing greatness of his power. Notice the hope of his calling. Look at verse 18. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. What is that hope to which he has called you? Well, in order to know that, we need to ask the question, what is hope? What is hope? Hope is something that expresses a longing, it's an expectation for something that you do not yet have, right? You hope for a certain kind of job that you still don't have, maybe? Or you hope that you can win the next game? Or you hope that you're not going to get sick? Hope is a desire to see that dream, that wish, that ambition to be fulfilled. And that hope may come to pass. It might not come to pass. We live in a world where that's the only hope people know. They have no real hope. The only hope they know is a hope that is not sure, that is not certain. There's no guarantee. There was a 20th century philosopher, Nietzsche, that's his name. He was a man who did not believe in God. He said there is no God. And therefore, Nietzsche, he hated the word hope. And he called that word hope the worst of all evils. He said hope is the worst of evils because it prolongs the torments of man. So, you know, hope is always eluding you. It's, it's escaping you. You can never have what you hope for. That's the only hope he knew, and that's really the only hope that society has. No certainty. Empty, which drives despair and panic and fear. But that's not the hope that the Bible talks about. The hope of the believer in Christ is sure, is certain, is firmly grounded in what God has spoken in his word because God himself is trustworthy, isn't he? He is 100% trustworthy. It is a full Christ-centered assurance that his promises will indeed be realized. Think of Hebrews 11 verse 1. Really a beautiful definition of faith. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. The Bible calls this hope a living hope. God the Father, says 1 Peter, has begotten us again to a living hope 
Notice that. What kind of hope? A living hope. Through whom? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so this hope is sure. This hope is a living hope. And this hope is also called an anchor in the Bible. Hebrews 6. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. Consider what happens when a boat is not anchored at shore. What happens? It goes adrift. It goes here and there, to and fro. It is at the mercy of the winds and the waves, and who knows what it might hit. But the believer's hope is in Jesus. He's the anchor. And this hope, says Romans 5, 8, never disappoints. Isn't that beautiful? Even in life circumstances, it will never disappoint. It's to this hope in Christ that God has called you. The hope of the world is empty. They're hoping for some sort of a, a uh, what do you call it? An immunization. That's all. That's it. That's it. It's helpful. But this hope is greater. This hope that Christ, that the Bible talks about, is not the product of man's fertile imagination. The scripture says it's his calling. God and his word is the basis for our certainty. Okay, and it's his gift to all who believe and bend the knee to Christ. This call, this hope, it's his gift to all who believe in Jesus and bend the knee to Christ. The coronavirus may be bending the knee of the people in the world, but we pray that we bend the knee to Christ because he's the only, only hope in the world. And you know, the calling of Christ is as powerful as calling dead Lazarus to come out of the grave. That's how powerful the calling is. To all believe he called you to this hope in Christ, the hope of eternal life. This calling must not be taken lightly, and so, what does Paul encourage us to do? What does Paul pray for? He says, take hold of the hope that's set before you in Christ. Don't fall for the panic. Don't fall for the fear. You take hold of the hope that is in Christ. Rest your life on him. Perhaps one thing the coronavirus teaches us is that the, wor- teaches the world is that there is no security. There is no hope whatsoever Outside of Christ, it's only found in him. Incidentally, one of our missionaries from the United Reformed Churches is in Italy, and they're in the heart of the area that is completely shut down. Schools are closed, churches are closed. But he says, when he's pre- he preaches his sermons online now, and there's 700 people listening. The Lord has his purposes. He sends the bug. But look how many ears he's opening through it. There's good. There's good in this. If only we would see the reality. Consider the magnitude of this hope. How big is this hope? You know how big this hope is? The next phrase describes it. The riches of the glory of his inheritance. You talk about hope. There is no greater hope. There's no more wonderful hope. No more glorious hope than the hope that 
Paul prays for here that the believers may come to see. That you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. That's our second point. That you may know not only what is the hope of his calling, life in Christ, but also the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Apostle says in words that are wonderful beyond description. He doesn't only talk about the riches of Christ's inheritance. He talks about the riches of the glory of his inheritance. You think of glory. You can hardly describe that. It's so wonderful that there's no words to describe it. It's weighty. It's heavy. It's full. And Paul says he prays that we may come to know that. The glory of his inheritance, which is shared among the saints, that is, between believers, among believers in Christ. Inheritance. I think we know what inheritance is. An inheritance is passed down usually from parents, father and mother, to their children. It's a gift. It's divided and it's shared among the children. It may be an estate, it may be a property. It may be a lump sum of money, let's say $100,000 to each child. But you know, for those who don't know, who don't have Christ, that's all they have. That's all. Oh, poor pity. That's all. That's it. Really? And that's what people live for. They see nothing more. Oh, it's nice. But that's all they have. Just some little earthly things which lasts for a few years and it's gone and then there's hell and eternal agony. That's the world we live in. A cottage, a cruise, that's all they have in this life. And one little germ brings them down and takes it all away. Boy, God has a way of humbling man, doesn't he? Get real. God says to the world, get real. Come to see who I am and my glory and my life that I offer to you. Psalm 49, 17 and 20. When man dies, he shall carry nothing away. There's no U-Haul to go behind a coffin. His glory shall not descend after him. He shall go to the generations of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like a beast that perishes. So what? You had your time of fame. You had your time of honor. God, dead, like a beast. But you know, this is not the inheritance that the scripture talks about. It's, it's real. It's full. It's for the believer. What is Christ's inheritance? Go back to 1 Peter 1, 3, verse 4. We talk about the living hope. Right? But it describes God's inheritance this way. He has begotten us again. Okay, He's brought us to new birth. Again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. No rust, no moth. Wow. That's the promise. You know, in a coronavirus world, we have everything. We have everything. He gained this inheritance. Christ did it by giving up his life, by sacrificing himself on the cross for our sins and rising again from the dead as a gift 
to us, his people, is the gift of God's grace. Yes, a gift. But yeah, we must bend the knee to Christ and receive it by faith. It's all yours on the condition of receiving that gift by faith. I don't have faith. You may say, pray for it. God gives the faith. It's a gift. That's part of the inheritance and everything else that comes with it. Ephesians 1 verse 3 talks about the wealth we have in Christ. And then it just enumerates it. You could read that chapter too. It's truth. This is the truth. It's no fairy tale. It's not imagination. The world is, the world itself, with all this panic, is giving all kinds of stories. You believe them? You believe those stories? Certainly there's a certain amount of truth to it, but it's driven by fear and panic. But by faith, we have the calm and peace in Christ. We see, we see by faith. Do we see his inheritance? You know, often we don't see it as we should because in this life, our sin clouds us from seeing just how big, just how magnificent his inheritance is. The reason why we don't see it is because there's so many things in this life that just sort of clouds our vision. It's just, our vision is not 2020 spiritually. We see, but sometimes so dimly. One person says it this way, we need the Holy Spirit to remove the mists of ignorance, the clouds of lust. So lust could be greediness and whatever else. To remove a selfish disposition. And he's the one that can give sorrow for that sin. When we see dimly, we don't see Jesus as we should. We don't see his inheritance, the glory, the riches of the glory of his inheritance as we should. So if we don't see it, shall we conclude that just because the clouds cover or hide the sun, that therefore the sun does not exist? Of course it does. It shines brilliantly, even behind those clouds. But pull those clouds away, it's hard to even look into it. The the magnificence. This is not a story. This is reality that we see by faith. Apostle Paul prays that we may know and see more and more, more and more, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. By the way, among the saints, among believers. Boy, what a day that's going to be. We have it now already in part, but that day comes when Christ returns. Christ is going to divide. He's going to share the inheritance equally among all the saints. And we all get a share in it. There's more to come. But in the meantime, Christ has given us the first installment of that inheritance. What's what's that first installment? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who gives faith, the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see the more to come. The first installment of the inheritance to believers. More is on the way. More is coming. Christ has already earned that inheritance for us through his blood. And already now we can experience and come to know that there's forgiveness and peace and joy. You have that, right? I think so. Pray so. If not... You know, you better go to Jesus. That's the solution. If you want that peace and joy and that calmness, you better go to Jesus because that's the only place 
we're going to find it. The Apostle Paul has one more what in mind. In addition to the hope and the inheritance, he prays that the eyes of our hearts may be illumined, may be shone upon us by God's Spirit so that we may also know more and more the surpassing greatness of his power. The surpassing greatness of God's power. Why is his power necessary? It's necessary so that it's his power in us so that our hopes may be realized. The powers of the world would love to take that away. Even a little bug can take that away, it seems. But the power of Christ we need is necessary in order that the hope may be realized, the inheritance be obtained. That's the driving engine. That's what enables us to, re- to have that hope and the inheritance to come. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? What kind of power is it that he works in the believer and keeps believers in the faith? Well, that power that works in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's why you can talk about the greatness of his power. Right? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is that same power that can resurrect us and give us new life. It's that power. That's one thing. And the other thing is that same power by which Christ today exercises his reign, his authority today as king over the whole world. Those two things. It's that power, that power that works in us. It's that same power that raised Christ from the dead and that same power by which Christ rules and reigns over the entire world. He doesn't just rule over the church. Please understand that. He's king over the entire universe that's been given to him as a reward, as a result of his resurrection from the dead. And he will continue in that until he returns when he will give the kingdom over to his father. Let's look at those briefly and then we'll close. Notice the same power by which he Christ raised Jesus from the dead It's that same power that works in us. His power toward all who believe is according to the working. See that, verse 19 and 20? is according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him as right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's probably fumbling for words, trying to describe how great this power is, how mighty this power is. He just used all kinds of adjectives to describe it. But without the eye of faith, just everything, death reigns. Death. It just seems that way. It's ugly. It's menacing. The destructive powers of death is seen all around us. Yeah, medicine is good. It's a gift. But even medicine has no power over death, does it? That's how limited human power is. Certainly it's a gift, but it does not have the ultimate power. Scientists today talk about putting dead bodies in freezers. Can you believe that? Putting dead bodies in freezers so that one day when they discover the, the power to raise someone from the dead, then they can pull those dead bodies out of the freezers and make them stand up. Foolishness of man. Man is so foolish. 
God has a way of humbling man. So they begin to see that death is really the wages of sin, but the gift of life is through Christ Jesus our Lord. But what is this power Scripture speaks about? It is this, with his almighty power, God raised Jesus from the dead. This is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, raised to life. And there's a further promise, I will not be forgotten in the grave. However I die, whenever I die, that's according to God's appointed time. He's in control of my minutes, my day-to-day life. We see that reality by faith. I will not be forgotten by the grave. In, by, sorry, I will not be forgotten in the grave. We see this reality by faith. This perspective changes everything, doesn't it? In a world of disease and plague. His power makes our hope sure and guarantees our inheritance to come. You believe that? Pray so. So important. That's the peace. That is the fruit of that. What a comfort that God gives to us. Our bodies, though they die, will be raised to life by his power, never to die again. And we will see Jesus as he is. How do we know? Because the Bible says so. God says so. In the meantime, no one, nothing can snatch believers from Christ. No power, no pestilence, no disease can frustrate the believer's hope. That's the first thing. The second thing we see in verses 21 to 23. The exceeding greatness of his power toward those who believe is also the same power by which the risen Christ today exercises his reign as sovereign king over all. So yeah, the power that raised him from the dead, that's the same power that works in us, but also the same power whereby he exercises his reign over the world. He is seated on the throne. Verse 21, far above all principality and power, might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Who's king? Christ. Who's on the throne? Christ. God has placed him on the throne of the universe. No sin, no addiction is so powerful that Christ cannot break it and deliver one from it. Are you afraid of death? There's comfort in Christ. Look at those words in Hebrews 2. Christ too shared in our humanity. Why? For what purpose? So that by his death he might break the power of him who, has, who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Yeah, being afraid of death is a slavery. But Christ frees us from that slavery. The Bible says, He is God over all. He's the living Lord and King over all. God has given Christ all authority for the benefit of the church. See verses 22 and 23? And he put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May this vision of his hope encourage, strengthen you in our walk of faith. Christ is the head of his body, the church. He loves her. How do we know he gave his life for her? He loves her so much 
that he today uses his divine authority so that the entire universe cooperates for the benefit of his church. The church is the center of his plan. The church is the apple of his eye. It is his twinkle. And he will make sure that everything that happens, every detail, is always for the benefit of his church. He is sovereignly working out all things for the good of his people. One author says it this way, it's not only that he knows what is best, but that he knows the best way of bringing out of bringing about what is best. Let me say that again. It's not only that he knows what is best, but he knows the best way of bringing about what is best. I'm reminded of this article. You can pick it up from the back of the table after. It's called Christians and the Coronavirus. But he says here in the bottom, who knows how the Lord will use this disease in China. He uses China example where the Christians of Wuhan and many other places have put themselves in harm's way to show practical love and help to the people of their city. You see that? How love replaces fear. This comes just at a time when the Chinese authorities are cracking down on Christians. New regulations, which have come into force February 1, which will require all religious leaders and organizations to display complete devotion to the Chinese Communist Party. At such a time. At such a time. Do you see the glory of this? you see the hand of God? Don't panic. Don't fear. Trust. Trust. Trust the Lord. The church always has been, is, and will be the center of God's plan. Every detail is working out for the sake of his church. The church is described here as the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that mean? There's so much here, but basically Christ needs no help. He has no lack. He has no weakness to carry out his purposes in history. As head, he speaks of his body, his church as completing him. The head is not complete without the body, nor is the body complete without the head. Christ is the head. The church is his body. Think of this as the church being the fullness of Christ on earth. Wow. Driven by love. Driven by service. Driven by sacrifice. How important it is to belong to the body of believers. Learning how to pray for one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Care for one another. All those things show that we belong to someone greater. We belong to Jesus. In life and in death. Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And by his spirit, he gives new life. He opens eyes, opens ears, so that by faith you may come to see more and more what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and what is the exceeding greatness or the surpassing greatness of his power at work in us. And yeah, and so we may leave God's house today with this confidence, these words of Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, be still, and know that I am God.
Amen.